<laughs> yes, I can hear you very okay, well. Fantastic. Okay, don't worry. It happens all the time. Yeah, especially okay. for people our age who are not familiar. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, so for everybody, uh, thanks for joining us. So Miss Quick uh, was a two-term uh, nominated member of Parliament. I I didn't know her personally. I only met her last week, and we had a very lovely conversation. That hopefully today it will be the same uh, again. <laughs> okay, so so let's let's get right to it, right? So so Miss Quick, as a two-term nominated member of Parliament, right? Would you agree with me that the Nominated member, uh, nominated member of Parliament scheme is essentially an undemocratic scheme, and <laughs> and in many ways, right, it is a very elitist scheme, right? It's a bunch of elites choosing another bunch of elites to represent mm. the commoners, right? So, what mm. would be a a good justification for having the NMP scheme, and what is the value add of the scheme? <laughs> okay, um, there's there's a lot in there to unpack. <laughs> uh, but maybe first, let's let's start off with the it's an NMP and undemocratic institution. Uh, I guess I think that opens up a really great question of actually what do we think is democracy, right? So if we are if our idea of democracy is, is about you know you're voting in a representative. Uh, you know, uh, then yeah lah, we're not voted in lah. So so that yeah, but but that's looking at one dimension of it. But I do think it's an important dimension. And you're right, there's a lot of uh, opacity maybe uh, in the way NMPs uh, get into you know like like what what is the process of them getting in? Mm. I mean, frankly, like I I didn't even know what was the process that the NMPs get in until like. Someone come and ask me like, "Hey, you want to send in your name or not?" You know. Um. So, yeah, I I do think the NMP institution can have more legitimacy if maybe the process in which they are nominated in, right, uh, is maybe more transparent, more participative. Mm. I think the right. arts community has done a good job in. Like trying to make up a more participative process to nominate their own like representative, mm. yeah. So so I do think um, short of like you know asking Parliament or the government to like change the way you do the NMP thing, I mean the arts community has proved that you can own self do lah, you know. Mm. So 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 we could do that. Uh, I think that might help the legitimacy of the institution, um, but. But but that's just looking at the are you elected or not elected aspect of uh, democracy. You see, I mean the other aspect of democracy is um I mean democracy essentially is about power, power beginning with the people, right? Uh, that it's rule of the people versus rule of the elite. If you look at the classic definition of it, so it so if you are an NMP and you garner the position, right, and you're not elected in, I mean, how do you democratize the position? You know, uh, is I mean, you have to own self decide. Like, let me use this position or use this institution to, uh, speak for the people's interests, lah. Yeah, mm. and and I I and I take it as there's certain people's interests that are maybe more overrepresented because there's so many people in the house already representing those perspectives. Right. Then the NMP can decide. Uh, to bring up uh, people's perspectives that maybe are not as represented, lah. 
Yeah, mm. so, so, so that's why I take away. I'm also right. realizing that as I speak to you, like more and more Singlish is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I think it's a largely so Singaporean funny. audience, if not sure. exclusively. So it's fine. <laughs> Okay, so so great. on that, I, I think, I, I do agree with you. I think there's value to that. And, you know, that's the system we have, right? We have a one-party one dominant, one-dominant party system, a yeah. dominant one-party system. And, mm. and therefore, while the NMP may be undemocratic in the sense that it's unelected, it can actually add to democracy because yes. NMPs are not, are not bounded by party rules, right? Like even the opposition, they cannot say a lot of things, right? Because mm. like individual opposition MPs may want to say something, but they cannot say something because they are bounded by the party yeah. wave or party rules. Uh, mm. But NMPs are not. And I think people like yourself, people like NMP Viswa, have, uh, Walter, Professor Walter yeah. Tessera, have, have made substantial contributions. Uh, yeah. But would you, what about the elitist part? Would you say that the NMP scheme can, can become an elitist scheme? Uh, it can be if we... Okay, so it's like all democratic uh, processes, right? If we don't participate in it or we don't think about how to make use of it, then yes, it can become the... It can become like another elitist thing, if you want to put it that way. But I think one of the things that uh, people don't realise about the NMP thing, and I didn't realise it either until I talked to an ex-NMP, you can nominate yourself. So yes, technically, uh, <laughs> any one of us, regular folk, regular voters, if we care very badly about being in parliament, um, yeah, technically you can submit uh, your uh, submit an application and then, you know, get all the letters and whatever, right. submit. Uh, and then, of course, the committee has to let you in. Lah, right, right, right. But, and and I think they, well, I guess that that, that is a gatekeeper of uh, elites, if you would like. But the but but you can try, and and I, yeah. And what was interesting is it was an ex NMP who told me that's what she did. So no one scouted for her. Uh, mm. She applied herself, but she was a scientist. So maybe that's. I mean, maybe people decided like, okay, let, let's let in the scientists. Right, so, so right, yeah, that, right. there is a gatekeeping aspect that we don't see. Right, right, yeah. right. Mm. So ultimately, it's what the NMPs make of it that de determines uh, its impact on democracy. Yes, I think that, I mean, I would, I would, frankly, I would love to hear from many of the ex-NMPs, like what the heck they made out of their time in the institution. Right. Because, right. because when, when, you, when you are put in there, um, I think a, a, a lot of people don't understand that you're put in there as an individual and nobody gives you a 10-year series to tell you how to be an NMP. You know, you just sort of like, you know, you, so, I, I, well, at least for me, I didn't know what I had signed up for. You know, right. I, I like, okay, let's do this. And then when you're in there, I mean, I was like thinking a very existential question. So what, what am I doing here? Like, what, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to speak about? And I think those were very important questions to ask myself. And I am curious, actually, on what other NMPs made of that. Like, like did they ask themselves these things as well? Yeah. Mm. But I, I was very bothered by it because I, I really didn't know what I was supposed to be doing in there. Yeah, exactly. You know, you kind of know, but yet you also don't know. 
You mean procedurally or what? what no, no, no. I, I mean the, the existentially. The, existentially, yeah. Politically, okay. like you know, like are you supposed? Well, what are you supposed to speak up for? Because you look at the M, other MPs in the room, and you know they, a lot of them speak up for their residents. Right. Right. And if you're not an NMP who was put in there, let's say by the arts community. Uh, or, or like the the union, you know, usually sends an NMP in there. Then, technically, you don't have a, you don't have a base. You know, right. you don't a have constituency, a constituency, right? Yeah, you don't have a constituency. Right, right. Yeah, so I had to. I mean, I was put in there because I was supposed to represent what the youth said. Like, but what <laughs> what does that even mean? You know, <laughs> and yeah, so so I had to make a lot of sense out of it. But uh, when I was in that position, I saw how some. Uh, VWOs on the outside were using the institution in a good way and I think in a fruitful way and, and you saw that play out more I think in, in this uh, in, in like uh, NMP Walter and, and peers like Batch right? right yeah so what I realised was while I'm sitting there trying to figure out what to do there was only like maybe a small handful of uh, VWOs out on the outside or organisations on the outside who were Actively writing to me every session with like mm. here's what we are interested in here's what right. uh, if you are interested to talk about this then uh, we can show you our research or we can talk about these are the questions that we are interested in and that to me was a godsend you know right, because like right. the enemies right. get to ask like five parliamentary questions right right and you kind of don't know what to spend your quota on if no one's giving you information right yeah so, so I found those VWOs super useful, especially those who backed it up with research. Yeah, and then they send you the research to take a look at. So that was, that was great. And I think that's an example of how the people can use this institution uh, for the people's interests. Okay, yeah. okay. So, so that's an excellent point. So I think for, for those who are listening, we should write to the NMPs more. <laughs> yes, uh, and, yes, should write to the NMPs more. And if writing to our MPs don't work, oh, we can do both. We can do both. Yes, write to our yes. MPs and the NMPs as well. Uh, so, do do elected MPs take you seriously? And what's the, what's the vibe you get from them when you see them during lunch? Uh... Do you guys discuss policies, or do they say, "Hey, why did you say that?" Or, uh, or <laughs> is there any indication that your speeches are? are hidden or are at least taken seriously and considered? Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that says a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so, okay, so seriously, the, the first... Okay, but first, do the MPs take NMPs seriously? Uh, and, and did they take me seriously? Uh, the answer is I don't know. Oh. Yeah, uh, uh, I don't know because I didn't have those conversations with them, and right. I don't know because, uh, yeah, I, I think that's an excellent question though to ask uh, your MPs. Yeah. Right? I mean, if, if you're interested from an institutional point of view, like not so much, like, are they interested in this particular? Question? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I mean, like, right, know, right. I, but I think that's a great question to ask the elected members of parliament. Uh, oh. What do you? What do you think of what these uh, NMPs say, especially if they bring up points of view that are quite different or quite divergent? You know, like, do you take them seriously? And if not, then mm. I think that's, that there's a huge conversation to be asked down there. 
uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually don't know. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So I think we should mm. ask that of our MPs as well. Mm. And also it's about the institution, right? Because mm. we need to ask our MPs that uh, in order to assess the efficacy of the NMP as an institution, right? Mm. So I think I'll definitely, the next time I see my own MP, I'll ask, I'll ask him that. Mm. Uh, yeah, and uh, there was a question, are there other countries with nominated uh, members of parliament or there are uh, for instance Kenya has a nominated senator uh, to represent the youths and persons of disability and another question this year's the next batch uh, of NMPs have not been chosen so you guys can nominate yourself as Ms. Mm. Quick has said uh, so now uh, moving on to the broader point of MPs what what is the role of MPs not just NMPs but MPs in general because are mm. you because you are supposed to reflect and follow public opinion, right? But at the, at the same time, as people mm. in such a position of privilege, are you supposed to shape and lead public opinion as well? Mm, okay, um, that's a really good question. Uh, and I think, okay, the short answer is it's both, right? And, and, I, and I suspect I'm going to be saying it's both uh, quite a lot <laughs> throughout this interview. <laughs> um, yeah, because... Um, yeah, I, I this this question of should an MP be a ref, just reflect the public's opinion or should it shape the public's opinion is like uh what do you call that? It's it's it's, it's like a false dichotomy, right? Yeah, like trying to make it binary, but but it's not. You have to do both, and this is also tied up to the other false dichotomy that we see floating around a lot about like uh is an MP uh, a manager of an estate. Or is he a leader, a thought leader of a community or a thought leader of a country even, mm. right? Uh, because the, the leader of a country is not just the prime minister. You know, the leader of the country is whoever is like in charge of like making laws, right? Which is like all of us sitting in there. So, and, and, and this again ties up to another false dichotomy about, so is an MP's work all about deeds or is it about words, right? Because the work of shaping public opinion, the work of leading thoughts mm. for a country or a community has a lot to do with the work the work of words, right? Not just the work of uh, actions and deeds. And the thing is, it, these are not opposed to each other. They sound like they're opposed to each other, but they're not. They are complementary and they are needed. Uh, so I, I do see that the role of an MP is actually, actually a very difficult one, right? Where you have to be both really good at just reflecting the public's opinion, regardless of where you stand on it, mm. because it's your constituent's point of view. And yet you also have to put your own point of view out there and shape public opinion, because that's what people also want. Because that, that, that is the role of leadership, right? A, a manager of an estate, right, uh, has to do a lot of deeds, a lot of actions, a lot of let's take care of the things. And your, your job in there is not to question or challenge the boundaries of a system, if you want to put it that way, but to do the best work possible, working with what you have. But the role of leadership is to do that, that work of theory, abstraction, and you're sort of like examining ideas, and that does require you to uh, question, to talk about, or even challenge the boundaries of things. And a great MP, I think, uh, has to balance both, which is a really tall order. <laughs> mm, right. It's a really, really right. tall order. And that, that's why, to 
to me personally, I cannot imagine doing this work part-time. Be- simply because it's such a crazy job description. It's a damn difficult work. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, right. I, I find if you have to do both, then yeah, you, you would need to invest full time on it. Yeah. Right. So uh, would you say for NMPs then, uh, then because you do not have the manager aspect to, to your job, right? So essentially, yes. NMPs by default are thought leaders, right? Uh, we should laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should be, theoretically, right? Theoretically, yeah, theoretically yeah. it's like, you know, you've been nominated in there to represent some interests and you still keep your full-time job. You know, you have a little stipend given to you by parliament. Like, if you don't go in there and shake thoughts or share thoughts uh, in a constructive way, then it's a bit like, what are you doing there? <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Because right. you yeah. don't have an estate to manage. Yeah. Right, right. So, so I like I like the the challenging of the dichotomy between words and deeds because I find it strange as well when people say you shouldn't judge MPs by what they say but by what they do. When course, speaking yeah. is a part of their job scope, speaking in oh, parliament absolutely. is a yeah, it's an yeah. important part of yeah. 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 So that it, it just seems a strange dichotomy then. Uh, and it, uh, thanks for uh, for bringing that up. So would NMPs be in a better position than to be? thought leaders and MPs, actually, since you guys are not bounded by parties? Uh, yeah, in, in that sense, I mean, I guess there's a bit more room uh, for independence, uh, a lot more room maybe to express what you think. Uh, but I mean, what, what's really interesting is, I mean, now this is making me think of like one of the very early sessions to welcome all the NMPs that we went through, right? And I think it was one of the ministers who uh, who told us, like, you know, when you're in here, you're not uh, here just to express your individual point of view, you're here to express the collective interest as well. And I think I, I think that's a good reminder. But again, the, 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 there's another dichotomy there, right? Mm. That actually the best way to express the collective interest uh, is to also share your individual uh, point of view and your individual interest, and you sort of have to show up there. La. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it's... What, yeah, what is the collective it. interest? What is the collective <laughs> interest? Because there are, there are yeah. different groups which have different interests, right? So what, what, mm. what did he or she mean by collective interest? I suspect what the minister meant by collective interest is Singapore. That means the, the, the whole country's interest. Yeah. Uh, but I think as a, as a parliamentarian, um, the ability to see levels of the systems, I think, right. would be very helpful. Because, right. yes, there's you, the individual, uh, and you have a point of view that is legit because you are part of the system and you embody yeah. many identities, right, that link you to different communities. So you also want to express those community points of view. Right, and they, they are also uh, collectives within the collective. And then, of mm. course, you've got to talk about the national point of view. Right. And then you want to give yourself even more headache, then you talk about the global or regional point of view at the same time. Uh, and, and that is why that position is so challenging. Technically, right. yeah, we haven't even gotten into the perspective that an MP also has a role to play in talking about regional or global 
And right. of course, this is this is like lagi even more difficult lah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Mm. Thanks for that. That was very comprehensive. Ah, uh, so ah, uh, on GE twenty twenty, and you know you interact with a lot of young people in in your work mm. and in your line, right? And you mm. were a representative of the youth <laughs> at one mm. point in time. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, so, do, <laughs> do you do you see uh, a difference in how the young voted or talked about voting or talked about the election mm. versus the older people or the older voters? Yeah. Um, oh, there's just so much to unpack there. Um, okay. So, so I think first it's. Uh, I think we need to be aware that for young people, there's obviously a, a range of uh, political uh, inclinations of young people. I mean that there are there are those who veer more establishment and conservative, and there are those which right. are more liberal leaning, right? Um, but, right. but I do think there is some pattern, right? I do think there's some cultural pattern that is that they kind of fall into. So what I thought was unusual about this uh, election on social media, as opposed to before. Um, if there were a lot more um, sort of open expressions of like I used to vote this way but now I am voting this way and mm. this is why and then they will break it down you know and, and, and you get a sense that the, 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 the breaking down of like why I am switching allegiances or why I am deciding that this style of politics is not for me um, and putting it there in public and quite candidly and using their own names, uh, it, it gives me a sense that there is a new generation that is not afraid to talk about such things, right? Uh, I think for, like, my... I mean, I'm Gen X, and I think for, like, Gen X and, and older, there, maybe there was a lot more hesitance in uh, expressing ourselves about what we think and what we feel, but uh, I think this gen, which has grown up on social media, they're they're like quite like indoctrinated in the like you know my opinion matters. <laughs> Let me share with you, even though it's just an opinion about my cat, you know. And then like, ah, oh, I'm gonna talk for you. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, 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 like Validation is like you know your your point right. of view matters, lah. I mean, it's it's right. it's a silly point, but I do think I do think it it has an impact, you know, on on like. Yeah, it has an impact on on political discourse. Um, mm. So, so the, the 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 same desires that they had for regular social media uh, etiquette, you like, carries over to the political etiquette because they, you know right. you, you don't see any difference. Like you know, right. if if, right. if someone posts on Facebook, you kind of hold them to the same standards that you hold your your friend, lah. <laughs> you know? Right, right. So right. it's like if right. like. If yeah, like like a politician posts on Facebook, like a takedown, you know, of someone else, right? Then you are like, oh, what's this? Right. You know, <laughs> or you see like a social media war happening between two people online who are older than you, and you'll be like, wow, what? Why are you behaving like my brother? <laughs> 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 right. You know, yeah. So 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 I do think that there is a. I don't know what's the best word for it, but 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 almost a healthy, uh, what I. I can't think of a better word. Like a healthy na- na- naiveness about like well, about questioning, you know, as in questioning what, why do we talk like that? Right. You know, uh, is this okay or not? 
right. and not feeling this baggage of it's it's wrong to question it, which I think is 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 refreshing. Yeah. Right. Mm. I I never made that connection. No, I always felt like this validation culture was entirely negative. This desire to seek validation. Uh, I never uh, thought about how it carried uh, into the political sphere in terms of affecting voter behavior. Uh, so thanks for that. Uh, so now uh, moving on to uh, civil society, right? Uh, and you have been active in civil society. So there's there's always a conundrum or a bind that uh, civil society organisations find themselves in. On one hand, uh, they they if they try to work within the system, they will get things done, but yep. they entrench the system. Uh, they they contribute mm. to the entrenchment of the system. On the other hand, yeah. if they challenge the boundaries, probably they are not. They are going to suffer some punitive action, or mm. uh, depending on how how much they challenge mm. the, the boundaries. So, what yes. should civil society organisations or individuals do? What should activists do? I think our system. Okay, first let me get this out of the way. Okay, like I think our system does have to show a lot more appreciation for the work of activists. Um, and not make it like a dirty word. <laughs> All right. um, and, and, and apparently it's not a dirty word because like, uh, you know, if, if, if we can say PAP activists and not see it right. as a bad thing, then it's not a bad thing to be an activist in other spheres. Right. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think the, the role of the activists or how the activists can play the game um, it's not terribly different from what I said about MPs, actually. I mean, arguably, MPs are a kind of activists, right? Yeah, activists mm. for Pongo, you know, no, <laughs> or no. activists for Senkang, right? <laughs> um, so it's, it's similar. It's similar, like, like um, so this idea of should an activist uh, work within the boundaries that have been prescribed to, to, to him or her, or should they work, um, should they challenge the boundaries? Uh, and the answer is both. Again, you know, it's very annoying, but it, it really is both. Um, because they are, it's, it sounds opposing, but it's complementary. So the, the wisdom comes from reading the situation, or I suppose, or, or reading the, 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 the player that you're up against. Mm. You know, like, so there's going to be and, and, and the authority language or, or the authority to speak about the boundary, uh, to move the boundary, to investigate the boundaries of it, um, the authority to do that is based on the authority of what other deeds that you have done. La, you know? so, so it can't just be words activism, right. it has to be deed activism. And, and I do right. think uh, there, there are a lot of long-standing activists who have been doing both, right? And I think we, I think we, we have to, <laughs> I, I suppose appreciate can be a very triggering word for someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that part of the role of an activist is uh, not just to manage the problem uh, as it is, but it's also to take the leadership and leadership is essentially about working at the boundaries, with the boundary, through the boundary, and the question of boundary, right? And, and an activist right. has to do that. And that becomes very uncomfortable because nobody likes their boundaries challenged, right? right. It, it's, it's deeply uncomfortable. And, and I don't mean the government or the politicians or the leaders. I mean, anyone who 
like, yeah, anyone who's involved in, okay, let, let's just take like, let's say the, the, the conservative activist who let's say wants to lobby for banning of abortion, right? Um, and that, that sort of is their democratic right to challenge that boundary right. and to question it and to hope to move it. But of course, they're going to trigger an immense discomfort in everybody because boundaries are not just political boundaries. They are representative of, of uh, communities, psychological and emotional boundaries as well. And, and I think an activist who is wise needs to be very wary of what you are doing. You're not just challenging a political boundary. You're challenging people's psychological and emotional boundaries as well, right. which is why boundary work needs to be done very uh, carefully with a lot of discernment and a lot of intention with what words you are using because it's sensitive territory. It, it right. has to be done. It has to be done. Right. You're right. Uh, because that's how we grow as a community. But we will only grow if we are getting better and better skilled at just standing at the very uncomfortable boundary asking people to please take a look. Please take a right. look. Like, is this the right place to lay that boundary or not? Right. Yeah, rather than like bulldoze through la, then people right. are like, wow. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and don't be, don't be shocked when people... Uh, see, see, that's the thing. If, if you... If, if, you bulldoze through and break the boundaries right without preparing people for what you're about to do then the pushback is extremely violent you know that they, they will they will like sort of like reject you right. very fast so it's very psychologically intense work i think and and those of us who are maybe younger or budding activists uh, if you want to do that work well, then I think it's good to sort of understand the psychology of human behavior and societal behaviors uh, so that you can do the work well. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I, I think that's, that's an excellent point about boundaries having an, uh, a psychological and emotional dimension to it as well, uh, which mm. I think a lot of people do not... Maybe they realize, but they do not have the wisdom to navigate it. Uh, but I want, I want to push you a little on what you said about the uh, deeds and words, right? Why, mm. as an activist, do I need to prove myself in the realm of deeds before I can challenge the boundaries through words? Why, why is that? Isn't it a, a right of a citizen to challenge boundaries through words and not just... You know, uh, the, what's, what's uh, the motivation for this? Because a lot of times when you ask ministers certain things, right? Uh, certain uncomfortable things and then they they, they bring and you to say, another they ask you do you laugh. volunteer <laughs> yeah, yeah do you volunteer in some other some <laughs> other funny. realm that I yeah, so, so I and I'm thinking is that a fair ask of a person when he is talking he or she is talking about something else and you are talking about volunteering in some other realm uh, that you you are basically shifting the goalpost or shifting the terrain from an uncomfortable battle to something that is within uh, yes. your yeah, yeah, uh, and and my and I mean the, the immediate thing that comes to mind is, and if you do have those deeds to back it up, right, you can you can say I actually agree. I do right, and right. actually the whole of last year I right. worked with four hundred migrant workers, and right. out of the four hundred eighty percent of me told me that this is an issue, right, right now right, then right. it's okay. like that then you know the 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 person who's let, okay, so, so when I talk about these like two opposing concept things, right, we all have a bias, you see. So let's say the person yes. who's biased more towards deeds, uh, he kind of needs that from you. Right. Right? He, he needs you to sort of 
meet him where he is, which is I need to see your deeds first before I pay attention to your words. Then okay lah, right. here are my deeds. Right. Now you see my deeds. Okay, now can you hear my words or not? Right, you right, know? right. And, okay. and and actually very similarly, those of us who are let's say biased towards words, you know, are, are you kind of need the person to give you the words first. Don't show me your deeds. I want to see your words as well. Yeah. So right. so we all have a bias, and and I think it's a good. Uh, good politics or good activism or just generally good communication to work with people where they are. Right. Yeah. Mm. Right, and cover all bases. Okay. I, 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 fair enough. I buy that. I think that's that's a good explanation. Uh, so I think we only have about seven more minutes. Oh no! So I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's been a fun conversation. So cancel culture. Oh uh, my god! I I do not want to mention names because I don't want to okay, have any like suits. Yes, uh, but let's talk about cancel culture in general. I think. Okay. Uh, and and it's not just in Singapore. I think elsewhere as well. Yes. This is uh, thrown about a lot. Uh, so what what are your thoughts on this? Is it really a problem? Uh, okay. Is there such a thing as uh, people being cancelled too much or people to the point that they are afraid to articulate their actual uh, their actual views because of political correctness and being afraid of being cancelled? Okay. Uh, well, because we only have seven minutes, yes. <laughs> I'm yes. just going to be uh, very blunt about this. <laughs> okay. So, um, I, I think it's not very productive to talk about this issue using the term cancel culture. Because it's just so bloody loaded, right? That people were right. like, I don't know, they're, they're bringing all kinds of like other America stuff into it. And, and I think it's cleaner to not use that term and just talk about like, what are we, what, what are we doing here? which is basically a lot of like, uh, I, if I don't like what this person says, I don't like what this person does, then I am going to take this person down, you know? Uh, and it's, uh, and this whole cancel culture thing is using, so I'm going to look, look at it from an emotional and psychological lens, okay? So cancel culture is essentially about using shame, right? Using the, the weapon of shame as a, and shame is an incredibly powerful weapon because what's at stake here is social acceptance. So if I use shame, uh, I am sort of like weaponizing that. And the threat here is social rejection or social disconnection. And, and, and we, most of us normal people like, are damn scared of that. Uh, even mm. the, the most thick-skinned person will right. actually feel a lot of pain when masses or hundreds or thousands of people are all like, you know, I reject you, I reject you. I'm going to make sure all your whatever brands and all that reject you also, you know. Um, and it's, so the reason why a lot of people like using it is because it's very emotionally satisfying to mm. use it. But it is a very, uh, but it's not a sustainable and I would argue it's not an effective weapon. Not as much as we think, right? Um, so there's a couple of reasons, right? Uh, the first is that um, from a psychological perspective, right, everybody needs a platform of self-worth to stand on so that they can change. And if we are hoping to, if we're hoping for the individual to change or we're hoping for that pattern of behavior to change or we're hoping for society to change, right? Then shame uh, takes away that opportunity because shame burns down that platform of self-worth, right? The, the distinction between shame and guilt, mm. right, is shame is essentially grounded in the uh, you are wrong or I am wrong, 
you know, it's a very identity-based emotion. But guilt is about actions. Like, I did something wrong. I said something wrong, right? Mm. So when, when you see, like, when, when you use shame on someone, uh, shame corrodes the part of you that believes you can change, right? So, mm. so if, if, if I am a mistake, if I am a liar, if I am, like, the, the devil's spawn or whatever it is that you're trying to shame me into believing about myself from an identity level, that means you're not separating my identity from my actions, you know. It's not like, right. wow, you did something wrong. So you are wrong. Right. You're very shame, shame. Right. So right. if you do that to me, uh, so two outcomes will happen. Either I get really so shamed and broken and I cannot change because I, uh, I'm so bad already. I must continue being bad, right? Right. Or the other reaction is the aggressive, okay, la, you say like that of me, then like that, no? what can I do? Right. What can right. I do? Right. I, I am this right. way. Right. So, so, so it sort of takes away that possibility of change right and the second reason you don't want to use shame is that it's a it, there's this phenomenon called secondary shame that means when you watch someone being publicly shamed there's a lot of audience watching and they go die i also don't want to be in that position so they mm. all like diam, diam, right they all like mm. quiet right and so so it actually results in a lot more silencing and, because people don't want to be humiliated so so they keep back their points of view right a lot more. And, and you don't want that in a democracy. Right? And, and the third, and I think the most triggering one, right? and this is from, from the voice of an activist from the 70s, okay? Uh, the triggering quote is, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Right? That means you cannot use the same tools of oppression hmm. to take out the oppressor. Hmm. Right? Because because the horrible thing is once you do that, you become the oppressor. Right. So, so shame changes the, the doesn't just right. change the target, it changes you. Right. So, so that's why I think it's, it's good to not use cancelling or shaming as the tactic. Right. Uh, what you want to do is use accountability. And that's different. Accountability is not as fun. It takes a lot more time. It takes a lot more work. But it's about preserving your dignity as the accuser or whatever. But it's also about preserving the dignity of the accused. Right. right? So, it, so if, you're right. On the, if you're on the side of social justice or you're on the side of let's, let's have reform, then voila, you've got to do the damn hard work of accountability. Right. I've got to keep you accountable. Right. But not as fun as shame. Like. shame right, 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 right. <laughs> Which is why a lot of what... people like it. What about hmm. what about repeat offenders, right? Do they really not deserve to be shamed if after a few times of holding them accountable, but still nothing happens, and they have a lot of uh, they they have a lot of sway in society, for instance, or there's a segment of people who hmm. listen to them? Isn't then wouldn't there be some room for publicly shaming the action, not the person? Well, you can't really shame the action, you see. Um, I so see. That's a, I yeah. see. So, right, so shame right, right, right. is identity. Yeah. So, so right. what? Uh, okay. So guilt is a more fruitful emotion to use than shame, if you would like. Right. Because right. at least in guilt, there is. I mean, holding someone accountable is basically asking them to take a look at what they're guilty of. Right. 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 Um, and I think that is fair. It's also very uncomfortable for you and the other person, but right. it's a lot more productive. In the okay. long run, yeah, because shame weaponizes lah. So, so if someone is a repeat offender and they are quite horrible, right? You shame <laughs> them, right? They are going to become worse. Right. <laughs> it, 
right. so the it, they will become even more monstrous right. now, which is the last thing right. you want, you see. And they're gonna play play martyr, right? They uh, will. So, yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah. So would would uh, free speech be more free speech be the antidote to hate speech instead of shaming think, or cancelling? I think more intentional speech. Yeah, not so much free speech for freedom's sake, but more intentional, clear, and kind speech would be damn powerful. Okay. It's actually very difficult. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To okay. to ensure that every word is has intent to be clear and kind. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that. So we are almost out of time. Uh, so there are two questions from the audience that uh, one sure. of them I'll just answer is the process considered non-partisan if elected members get to pick to who to nominate as NMP well it's not non-partisan but on the select committee there's usually one opposition member mm. uh, but of, obviously it is uh, very much a partisan process but ultimately as what Ms. Quick said it's up to the NMPs to, to decide how democratic they want the institution to be uh, the second, uh, the second question, and we'll end with this. And usually, if uh, elected politicians are on or party members are on, I will not ask them softball questions. But NMPs are different. <laughs> there's no need to. There's no need to be competitive with NMPs. <laughs> so, uh, somebody asked, uh, "What was your proudest moment during uh, your parliamentary term?" Oh my God, <laughs> my proudest moment. <laughs> Ah, I have no idea what is my proudest <laughs> moment in there. I, I can tell you many moments where I was like pretty scared. <laughs> okay, which moments? Which moments made you scared? <laughs> oh, every speech that I make that I know is not exactly like a fun speech or like can say something that potentially pushes someone's boundary. Like I said, it's psychologically scary uh, to to speak uh, your truth or the truth that you see into the room, knowing that not everyone's going to agree with it. Uh, it's uncomfortable. Uh. So yeah. I suppose maybe the moments that I'm proud of is like when I say it anyway. And, right. <laughs> and, and I know I am most scared when I don't dare look at the other side of the room. <laughs> some, of okay. my, some of my speeches, I deliver them looking at the gallery like, oh, help me. <laughs> you look friendly. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so but, the but, more... but that's more about me. So I have no idea what they are projecting on the other side. Right. Yeah. Right. But so the more me. uncomfortable you make people make, the prouder you are, right? <laughs> because that's a, it, it, that's in a... retrospect. <laughs> right, in retrospect, right. in that moment, okay. I'm not thinking why well, I'm so good. <laughs> right. 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 Of course. Of yeah. course. Of course. Okay. Is there anything yeah. else you want to say? Uh, no. Um. Well. Uh, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> if I only have like a couple of things to say. Right. Um. Since we touch on council culture and politics and all that, uh, I would just end off with like the three general rules of thumb that I always give people when I teach them about how to communicate. Right? First of all, number one, you got to meet people where they are, not where you wish them to be. Right? Meet people where they are, and where they are is usually how they feel. So don't engage with facts first. Engage with feelings and sincerity and care, even if you disagree with them. Because once you can build that bridge of trust, then you have built a nicer ground for you to start to talk about the facts, right? Uh, of where you agree and disagree and all that. Right? Second tip, right? Don't be nice, right? You're not going to get anywhere by being nice, right? But what you want to be is to be kind. And being kind 
it's not the same as being nice. You want to be mm. clear about the truth that you see, and yet you want to be kind and speak that truth with love. The harder the truth you want to say, then the deeper the love you better be prepared to give, mm. right? Because that that's the only thing that can make the bitter medicine like a bit better, mm. <laughs> right? And third pro tip is that uh, you can be so right that you end up being wrong. So mm. never enter into a conversation uh, with your objective. Like I need to prove that I'm right, right? Um, sometimes you are so right that you can be wrong, right? So just remember, uh, in all contentious debate, you are not here to be right. You are here to get it right, right? You are not here to be right. You are here to get it right. Yeah, and if you can remember okay. that, uh, you can move the boundaries a little bit easier. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I I came here for political talk, but I got some life wisdom. As well, so so thank you very much, Miss Quick, and I'm sure the audience uh, would agree with me that this was a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. We exceeded the time, but it's fine, uh, it's fine. Uh, so thank you so much, and I hope to see you around as well. And I'll be uploading this sure. uh, to IGTV. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.